Um, we're going to continue our series in James this morning. We're nearing the conclusion. We'll be here just a few more weeks. You know, I think one of my favorite literary cliches, so you know the type of cliche I'm talking about, like once upon a time. That's one that I've been reintroduced to recently with a, an almost three-year-old running around the house, once upon a time. Well, I think one of my favorite cliches like that is, uh, it plays a key role in the 2006 film Stranger Than Fiction. Has everybody seen that? Lead character, main character is played by Will Ferrell, who's an auditor with the IRS living in Chicago. And the narration in the opening scene of that movie carefully walks the audience through each meticulous detail of Harold Crick's day. Harold is the main character, and the precision with which Harold mapped out every moment of the day was then repeated every day after that. We're told that he wakes up at exactly this time every day. He brushes each tooth this many times and runs at precisely this pace to get to the bus stop to catch his bus for his commute to work. But near the end of that opening scene, the narrator introduces the audience to the dramatic and tragic plot twist. I won't tell you what that is in case you haven't seen it. Involving Harold. And we're introduced to that plot twist with the phrase, what has become one of my favorite phrases, little did he know. Little did he know. Harold knew everything about every day because every day was exactly like the day before it. The routines that guided him in every minute of every hour were adhered to with the utmost discipline. But there was something Harold didn't know. There was something only the omniscient narrator of the story knew. What we discover as we watch the film, and it becomes one of the major themes of the film, is that sometimes even our best laid plans are fruitless. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, surprises in life always lurk around the corner. Sometimes those are good. Most often, probably not. Usually surprises are not so pleasant in life, but for Harold, for all of his strict planning and his strict adherence and commitment to that plan he had developed, what we discover is that the plan itself didn't guarantee what the future would look like. Have you ever had an experience like that? Maybe a negative, even life-altering turn of events that and as you think back on that event and replay the events of that day in your mind, and maybe you even think of the morning before everything fell apart, maybe that phrase is quite appropriate. Little did I know at the time how different life was about to be. Little did I know that when I woke up in the morning, things would change. I think this is a theme that James, in a roundabout way, picks up in the section we begin reading today. And as we read it, I think we're going to be reminded of some things that are important for us to remember in those little-did-we-know moments. We're going to be reminded of things like the fact that just because life isn't moving along how we thought it would or how we planned for it to doesn't mean that God isn't with us in the midst of the uncertainty or even the disappointment. Now, for those who like to plan, 
like to know how every minute of every hour of every day of every month, you like to know how your life is going to progress. This can be a quite difficult reality to come to terms with. For those that are lovers of spontaneity, maybe you're able to embrace that a little bit more, and yet at times I still think it's difficult for those that like the spontaneous. You know, we've actually walked through some of these circumstances or experiences over the past couple of years as a congregation. As we have made plans to move to a larger facility and then we've watched those plans and all of our hopes stall for reasons beyond our control. So I think this is going to be a good reminder for us as a congregation today. I think it's a good reminder for us individually as we understand that the plans we make personally are a major part of our lives. So let's begin reading James chapter 4, verse 13, where he says this, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. So there are apparently some in the congregations James writes to who are making grand business plans. They have that entrepreneurial spirit knowing that they can make something out of their lives and they have the plan to bring that to fruition. And that's not at all a bad personality characteristic. You know, when I was a kid, I had a little bit of that entrepreneurial spirit. I don't really know where it went. Somewhere along the way, I think I laid it aside or something. Although I, I still have these ideas for businesses. I've got all these ideas burning through my skull. I, I just shared one with Kyle this week. I, I have this business idea to charge people in the downtown area to follow the, the person that makes a chalk uh, mark on your tire to time how long you've been in that spot. I have this business plan to go around behind her with a wet rag, erasing all of those marks. But now that I say it out loud, it sounds like it might be illegal. So maybe that's why I left that entrepreneurial thing behind. But I remember when I was a kid, my dad would purchase things at auctions, but a lot of times the item that he wanted at an auction would come with like a truckload of other junk that he didn't want. And so he would give that truckload of junk to me to do with what I wanted. And I remember when I was in fifth or sixth grade spending months selling pieces of uh, camouflage clothing for a couple of bucks out of my garage to my classmates after school because one of those truckloads of junk came with two boxes that were three feet by three feet by three feet full of camouflage. Now that was a business venture that didn't last very long because I didn't have a supply of that camouflage after those two boxes were gone. But I know we have some entrepreneurs in the congregation, and that's great. You all truly are inspiring, and I genuinely think that that type of industry is something that should be encouraged. And maybe as you read this first verse that we've covered today, you're thinking, wow, this sounds pretty harsh. Because James is talking in his context to folks like that. And he suggests that that's fine that you're business-minded, it's fine that you're even uh, an entrepreneur, that's even a great quality, but like everything in life for a follower of Jesus, it must be measured with an appropriate amount of humility. 
He says, you're, you're planning all of these great trips. You're anticipating tremendous profits, but your anticipation of profits is based upon the assumption that the world you reside in is predictable and that you can control it. Your ingenuity and your understanding of the economy and your understanding of this closed system that you are a part of is so thorough that nothing can go wrong. You know, we've mastered this. I've thought through every contingency. I am relatively certain that if I follow this prescribed plan, it will be a success. And James argues here, well, that's actually a pretty arrogant approach to life. And it's a confidence that is misplaced and will either lead to disappointment if that plan doesn't lead to success or it might lead to an unhealthy self-reliance if our plans are always successful. Now, I will say that that is a mindset that can be especially tempting for those who are skilled in this way. For those who have great ideas and then also possess the acumen to make those ideas a reality, it's easy, if that is your skill set, to start thinking, well, if I make the plan, that sort of locks in the future because the world is a closed and predictable system. But it's also important for us to understand, I think, that while the caution James provides is explicitly for those who make these grand business plans, if we're looking at the immediate context of this letter, it isn't a caution exclusively for folks in that field. Because I think the general message communicated is something that we all have to learn. Because we all make plans. Maybe those plans aren't business-related, but you can't really go through life and not think about the future at least a little bit and make plans for that in some way. I guess you can, but it's probably not going to lead to the most satisfying life. But making plans is a part of life. But as those who follow Jesus, we make plans with a great deal of humility, and we make plans with a great deal of humility because we have trained ourselves, or we are training ourselves to understand a few realities our scriptures teach us about the nature of life. So we make plans with great humility because we understand that the reality of life that is introduced in verse 14, where he says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. And then he asks the question, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. What is your life, he asks. Well, that's a complicated question, because obviously your life is of infinite worth. It is absolutely meaningful, intrinsically, and yet we find this repeated refrain throughout our scriptures that says life is a vapor. That inherently valuable life that you have been given is a mist. You, you can't cling to it. Our time on this earth is even now slipping through our fingers, like sand through the hourglass, right? So are the days of our lives. I'm really revealing all of my tastes when it comes to film. Stranger than fiction, 
the days of our lives. This is a topic, though, that the psalmist returns to time and time again. One example, Psalm 144, where he says this in verse 3, O Lord, what is man that you regard him? Or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. See, the idea is days are passing by. We can't cling to them. And this can be a really sobering thought, especially for those who may be anxious about death or anxious about what happens to your affairs when you pass. And while it's an uncomfortable thing to think about, it's something that we have to come to terms with because it is a reality. Your life is a mist. And what is more, it is utterly contingent. We don't like to think about that, especially in our DIY world, where you can pick yourself up by your bootstraps and you can make something of your life. You can control your destiny if you have a little bit of hard work and industry. This isn't a really popular idea, but that's not always possible to control your destiny. I think a lot of times we have less control over our situations than we like to believe. There are certain things we can change and affect and certain things we can control to some degree. But we are absolutely contingent on God, our creator and the sustainer of our life and the sustainer of all life. We are also contingent and dependent to some degree on the choices and the lives of others. Our lives are contingent on decisions that people in our community make and things like that. And perhaps a little bit of luck is more responsible for some of the success we experience than our personal genius. Maybe it's something as simple as being born in the right place at the right time. I'm currently reading David McCullough's biography on John Adams and this is an idea that John Adams in letters that he wrote expressed several times in, during that time frame when they were shaping and forming a new nation. He says, we're not particularly suited for this endeavor, but we've just sort of been plunged into it. We're not brilliant. This is just where we've been born and what we feel like we need to do. Furthermore, even if we do experience a little success, question we have to face at some point is what does that really matter in the end? We all come from dust and to dust we return. We enter the world with nothing in our hands and we return in the same fashion. We can't stop that process. We could eat a, a kale salad with every meal and while that is undoubtedly good for your health and quite tasty for, for some it's not going to stop that process. This is a major theme throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. We spent months going through that several years ago. But what I think we discover is that living life with a constant awareness that my life is a mist, that is a drastically different, or it leads to a drastically different approach to life than just sort of floating along. Understanding that my life and understanding that the things around me are passing away, I think, leads to a couple of unique commitments for us. Number one, if I am aware that my life is a vapor, that it's passing by, 
I think it leads to this desire to enjoy the moment. I can't cling to the moment. I can't make this moment last. But one thing I always have the power to do is try to live deeply in this moment, in every moment, even the mundane ones. And that doesn't mean that all of life has to be productive. It doesn't mean that all of life is going to be remarkable. Rather, it means I want to grow in my understanding that every moment is a gift, even the unremarkable moments. Every moment is a gift through which I can enjoy my creator and enjoy the life I've been blessed with. We can't cling to the moment, but whatever the circumstance, we can enter into the moment and embrace it. The second commitment that I think living with an awareness that our life is a vapor leads to is a desire to cling to the things that matter. Because often when this is not in our thoughts, we are constantly grasping and trying to cling to things that really don't matter. In Ephesians 5, Paul instructs his audience with this in verse 15. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. To make the best use of the time, our time, which is passing by and slipping through our fingers very quickly, we make the best use of that time. Now that phrase, when translated into English, literally means to redeem or buy up the time. Now how might we redeem the time, those moments that are passing by, how might we redeem them? Well, well, I think one example we find in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus instructs us in this way. He says, don't be anxious about your life. Don't be anxious about what you will eat. Don't be anxious about the clothing that you will put on your body or the profits you will make, because life is more than that. Life is more than all of those physical possessions that you can accumulate. And then he asks the question, why do those things consume you? And encourages those who are listening, don't be anxious because the Father knows what you need. And then he concludes the thought with this in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Seek or cling to, pursue the kingdom of God because that's one thing that will last. I think these habits of life, so understanding that life is a vapor, it's passing away, those habits of life where we enter into the moment, where we embrace and live deeply and enjoy the moment we're in, I think those habits of life lead to a much more holistic, holistic outlook on our existence than this constant assumption that we can always create for ourselves the lives we want. Because we can't always create for ourselves the lives we want. Our decisions impact our future, but our decisions don't control our future. Let's continue reading. Verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. 
So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Now, now we all make plans. And deliberate living, which involves making plans, is, I think, a wise approach to life. If we don't live with purpose, little will be accomplished, and we might end up at the end of our lives as different people than we intended to be from the beginning. But we also understand that we don't necessarily always have the power to create our future. And I am a believer in genuine free will. I'm a believer in an open future to a certain degree, but I do think that those lines between what we determine, what others determine for us, what God determines, I think those lines are not always cut and dry. And for us to act as though God has no power or claim over the future, maybe even when it comes to some of the particulars in our lives, I think would be rather arrogant on our behalf. And I'm not saying that God has a specific desire for you in every decision you make. Like he has a desire for you in the decision about where you're going to eat lunch this afternoon. Or or that common mis... There's a fly buzzing around my head right now. And it is driving me batty. Sorry. Do you see it? Oh, man. It's going to bother me. Or or that common misconception when when it comes to marriage, if that's in your future, uh, that the idea that there is the one, uh, that doesn't make sense to me. And I think it takes that idea way too far. But at the same time, we have to ask ourselves, are we at least aware of our own contingency enough to invite God into the decisions we make and invite other people into our plans, to seek God's will and to seek advice from others. I think Rowan Williams was on to something when he suggested this. He said, we're very reluctant to leave things to God to sort out because we have a vague feeling he hasn't read the proper books. Or maybe we could also say we're very reluctant to invite God into our decision-making process because we really don't trust his knowledge of our situation. I mean, the world is much different today than it was 100 years ago. And I have a pretty good grasp on how things function today and what I need to do in order to benefit me. Or or maybe you've had that fear that if you genuinely ask God into your situation in that decision-making process, you have this fear that he is going to ask you to do the one thing you want to do the least. Have you ever been there? I think a lot of times we become rather self-reliant, individualistic, and I don't need God's grace in my decision-making process because I know the ins and outs of this current situation better than anybody. So so I don't need God. I'll manage on my own. And perhaps that's also the reason we are often so hesitant to welcome others into our decisions as well. You know, I have all of these wonderful friendships with people who are wise and people who are walking close to Jesus, but I'll just wait and inform them about the decision I've reached once I make a plan. What a missed opportunity that would be. Perhaps one of the reasons that God has blessed us with the relationships we have is so that we don't have to make every decision on our own without 
the input of people who can observe the situation a little more objectively than we can. Maybe the fear is, well, if I invite them in, if I genuinely listen to their advice, even when it comes to big decisions in my life, decisions like a relocation or marriage or a career change or raising children, if I listen to somebody else's input and I take seriously the advice they're giving me, well, I am relinquishing some of my control over this situation. But perhaps that perception of control over the situation is a farce. A pastor in Denver, pastors a church named Bloom Church, he, he said this. He said, plans that cannot past the muster of communal discernment, often many layers of communal discernment, are not plans that can or should be trusted. Then he says, I know, I know, it sounds constricting, but it's actually liberating. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. May we rid our minds of the illusion that we are in complete control. My prayers, may I grow in my willingness to sit with Jesus in the decision-making process to seek God's will, but to also seek counsel from others I'm in community with. You don't have to be in control of your life. You don't have to make all of the important decisions on your own. The relationships you have, provided those individuals are sensitive to the Holy Spirit, those are tremendous resources in these seasons of uncertainty as we make plans, as we consider major decisions in life. We're going to move to a time of communion. Kevin, if you all want to come up. This is what I want to leave us with, though. From what we've read in James, his caution to those who are making all of these grand business plans, It's a simple reminder, and it's this, we are in less control than we think we are. We can plan, that's good to do. We can and we should try to make wise decisions as we take in all of the important information about our situation and analyze it and see what makes the most sense, but even our best laid plans don't always provide much of a guarantee. There will be times when we have that little did we know moment as we look back on the past, days that catch us by surprise, that spoil our plans. And as we come to terms with that reality, I want to offer this simple reminder that Jesus walks with you even on those days. Jesus walks with you even when you had a plan And you knew that plan was going to take you where you wanted to be. And then that plan falls apart. Jesus is walking with you. Even in those seasons. Even on those days. You you don't have to have it all figured out. Sometimes all you can do is take one step. And trust that God is with you in that step. And that's enough. That's enough. Would you stand? We're going to 
celebrate the Eucharist this morning. And I think this is an appropriate way for us to conclude on this Pentecost Sunday as we recognize the Spirit of Christ who is always with us, always guiding, always leading, always comforting. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the truth we find in our scriptures, a truth which calls us out of the deception that we are in control. Help us to understand that our lives are contingent on so much, that our lives are a mist, moments passing by that we can't cling to, and understanding these things help us enter every moment. Help us live deeply in every moment that we might experience know and enjoy you more fully. Help us cling to the things that last. We also thank you today, especially for the relationships you have blessed us with, individuals that can walk through the ups and downs of this journey, that can be by our side in times of uncertainty and fear, we thank you for the wisdom our brothers and sisters can speak into our lives as we have to make difficult decisions. And we ask that you would give us the humility to be open to that. Jesus, may we seek you in all. May we seek you. By way of invitation to the table, we pray today for grace. Lord God, almighty and everlasting Father, you have brought us in safety to this new day. Preserve us with your mighty power that we may not fall into sin nor be overcome by adversity. And in all we do, direct us to the fulfilling of your purpose through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.